Today I'm speaking with Susan Bright, the UK Managing Partner and Global Managing Partner for Diversity and Inclusion and Responsible Business at Hogan Lovells, one of the world's biggest law firms. Susan tells me about the outreach work that Hogan Lovells is doing in schools to raise aspiration, how they open up their doors for work experience and the way they've changed their recruitment to get a much more diverse workforce where anyone can flourish and feel included. Susan, it's been an interesting and at times very difficult period for all of us. How's lockdown been for you and how's it been for Hogan Lovells? So lockdown has been quite an experience, quite an experiment. Um, I remember uh, on, I think it was Thursday the 19th of March and I left the office for the last time and it really felt like that, Justine. So um, I, I have a wardrobe in the office. I walk to the office and then I change when I get there. So I, I packed up quite a few of my clothes in a suitcase I'd taken in and I trundled it out. And as I left the building, you know, as one of the last people to go, uh, you know, I felt like the captain of a ship that was going down. It was a terrible feeling. Um, but moving all of our people, we have about 1,600 people in the UK spread between our London office and our Birmingham office. Um, and moving everybody to home working actually actually was fine. It's extraordinary. We did it over a few days. And I have to say the technology stood up really, really well. Um, really surprisingly for me, I think our team did fantastically. Um, and there've been some reflecting on it. There've been some 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 real learning. So um, you know, clearly um, maintaining our client service has been absolutely critical. Um, but I've had no complaints from clients at all about the service that we've been giving. Maintaining the um, relationships between our people, um, keeping in contact with each other, absolutely critical. Um, one thing I've learned is as a leader of our business, um, I realise that what I do is walk the corridors and poke my head around people's doors or have those conversations at the coffee machine. And through that, I impart a lot of information, I receive a lot of information. And there is no digital equivalent to that. So that's been a real challenge for me, communicating. So I've been doing you know, a weekly email to everybody, little videos. And then we got Zoom. I mean, you know, can you remember not having Zoom? It was only a few months ago. We never, never, never used it for, um, at all. I hadn't. Um, but, you know, I've held Zoom calls with the office with a thousand people on, looking into my office at home. So um, lockdown has been, it's been, it's been a real, I, I would say it's been a, a massive experiment. Um, everybody now knows for our business that we can work from home. There's now nobody in my business who can say to me, agile working is not possible, Susan, um, which is a good thing. Um, but also um, we've learned, you know, the real challenges have been around people who live alone, isolated, mm -hmm. um, massive issues with um, people who've got um, children, either young children looking after them, homeschooling, challenging. I've got a 17 year old homeschooling him I mean he should be able to do it on his own but oh it's been really hard not good for him so I worry about all of that I think there's been um, a renewed respect for teachers that's <laughs> come out of this I've always, I've, I've always respected teachers but you're absolutely right even more so now um but yeah I mean it's it's been it's there's been some really good stuff though actually I don't know about you but I've um you know I've been able to um, have dinner every night with my with my husband and my I've got three children two of them at university and, and they actually stay they were in living out in houses with friends they were able to stay put which I think was very good for them actually 
Um, but my husband and my 17 year old and I have had dinner every night together. That's been a real pleasure. I've seen, everything's been a bit slower. So I've really seen with garden grow during the spring. Um, we put, you know, we've got beautiful, beautiful front garden. We've grown things from seed. I've gone for a walk every morning. That was my first thing I decided. Because I've got to look after my, you know, myself and I'm going to be sitting at my desk all day. So really that self-care piece, I think, has been important. So we walk the dog every morning first thing before I come and sit where I'm sitting now talking to you. Um, that's been critical. We've all had to just get a different routine almost overnight in the grand scheme of things. But I've certainly, I mean, we've got a dog and, you know, we take him out, obviously, a couple of times a day for walks but um and if he's lucky he gets a quick trip out at lunchtime as well these days but i mean it, you know I, I i think i get as much out of it as he does in the sense that I, I it struck me just how much i kind of need to now stretch my legs when it gets to you know later in the afternoon early evening um he obviously does but i've i've kind of got into that very different routine and i think understanding just how much time i spent on the tube my beloved district line um, and cost as well, I guess, you know, it's things like that. I, I think we almost took for granted because it was just how life worked that now, yeah, I do a walk instead of those tube journeys and I like it. And, and it's interesting because we've, we've um, started a pilot to about three weeks ago, Justine, we've started, we've opened up our, our office, but for a pilot group of people who really want to go back just to try it. And we've, um, the team have done an amazing job of, of getting it sort of COVID safe, if you like, um, you know, with um, uh, one way w walking around the floors and lifts, you know, staircases where you can only go up or you can only go down and, and huge amounts, you, you can imagine. And then as a group of people who've wanted to go in and, and I've been part of that. Um, I live in Seven Oaks, so I come in on the train from Seven Oaks. Um, and the first couple of weeks, um, there were never more than five people in my carriage. And that's an extraordinary experience because normally it's, you know, standing room only. And then walking, I walk from um, uh, London Bridge Station to the office. So along the south side of the river, across the Millennium Bridge, across St Paul's, it's wonderful. That's still a real joy. Um, but it's... Um, it, 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 it's it's different and I think you know I go into the office and then I, I sit and um, I'm talking to people like this and they're not there and you sort of think well the purpose of going into the office if you like is to collaborate with other people and to be together and, and I, I, I do miss that it is lovely to see people face to face again um, but I think there's going to be I think businesses are going to I would like businesses, ours included, to learn from all of this about how we maybe do things a bit differently. Because I'm finding suddenly, you know, when I do commute up to London, gosh, that's a lot of time I'm now wasting. You know what I mean? Um, so it's, uh, I think there's a, a sort of middle way, if you like, going forward, which is going to be interesting for us all to find. And I think it does potentially mean that for people who couldn't have gone for a role in London because they couldn't afford to live there or they couldn't afford to commute there every day if they lived outside, suddenly these sorts of things start to become possible. So I think there are challenges with almost this blended working from home, um, but there are also definitely opportunities. And I think we'll find probably some kind of a happy medium in all of this over time. Mm. Um, but it's just almost reflecting that everybody's different and for some people actually coming in is quite important for their mental health and and if you like their social side of life I think for others um you know maybe they prefer frankly being sat quietly at home you know getting to a task list and and sort of being able to get their head down and concentrate so 
everyone's everyone's different. But for you in, in law, Susan, I mean, obviously you've risen right to the top of Hogan Lovell. Tell me about how you ended up doing law in the first place. Was it something, you know, as a, as a child, as a young person that you'd always had in mind or did this come on your agenda later? So, no, it, it came on my agenda um, when I was um, in sixth form, actually. So my, my, my background is I've, my parents actually are both doctors um, and I remember not seeing as much of them as I would have liked. Um, and so I decided, right, I'm not going to be a doctor. So at 13, I deliberately gave up biology, so I thought that would prevent me <laughs> that from... That was defiance uh, by the defiance. Yes, I'm the oldest of three girls, so I thought, right, this is, this is, my, this is my leadership moment. Um, my, middle sister, my middle sister actually is a doctor. Anyway, so I decided not to do biology, but when I was in the sixth form, <clears throat> I... Um, you know, thinking about careers and what to do. And, um, you know, the sort of career guidance in those days was, let's face it, pretty, pretty poor. Um, and, and very hard to really get a feel for what sort of jobs were around. But there was a course that came up I, for others doing um, art subjects, for people doing art subjects and who don't know what career they want to do. And I went on this and a whole range of people talking about different careers. And it was a real moment. I remember this woman who was a solicitor um, talking and talking about her job, what she did, you know, how, you know her, her daily life. And, and she was inspirational. She was really energetic about what she did. And I thought, right, I'm going to go and, and find out about, you know, being a lawyer and what that might mean. So that's what I did. Wow. So basically, as we sort of know, these grounded role models that you can look at and think, I could be like her, and that looks like it would be good, really inspired you right at the beginning. And now, I mean, obviously, you're a woman in a leadership position. Um, tell us how that is, in a sense, you know, what do you think you bring to that um, role that you're in that's maybe a different perspective? And, and obviously, you know, you're massively passionate about diversity and inclusion. So... You know, tell us a little bit about almost how your own journey informs how you look at that role now. So, um, so my own journey is that I joined I joined Hogan Lovells as um, what was called an article clerk in those days. Uh, now, nearly uh, just over thirty years ago, so a very long time. I've always worked in the the same same place, um, and I always had ambition to to be a partner. Um, uh, reflecting back. Um, and, you know, I put my head down, I worked hard, um, I took the opportunities that came my way, so I had the opportunity as a, as a, when I was training to spend six months in our Brussels office, so I, I grabbed that, and I, I'm now, a, um, and that led on to where I specialised, which is as a competition um, antitrust lawyer. I also got the opportunity to go on an exchange with a US law firm um, in the mid-90s in Washington, called Step Two and Johnson. And that, that again, grabbed that um, with both arms and, and went for a year. And um, that, that, was, um, that was a real experience of um, getting inside a, a, a US law firm, which when um, what was Lovell's um, sort of UK-based, European-based firm decided to merge with Hogan and Hartston, a very much US-based firm, um, I was invited to be part of the um, team from the um, level side, presenting to the partners over there because I'd, and I, walked, I remember walking into the then uh, Hogan and Hartson DC office and thinking, I get, I, you know, this is the culture I know. I've worked mm -hmm. in this sort of culture for, for a year and I get it. So 
grabbing those opportunities. But coming on to this job, which I took on um, as managing our UK business about seven years ago now, um, I remember being our then CEO sort of saying to me, you know, about a year before I started the job saying, um, Susan, I was wondering if you'd like to, to, to take on this role. And I nearly fell off my chair with surprise. <laughs> and then I went away and thought about it. And I thought, oh, you know what, I'd really love to do that. I'd really love to be in a position where I can, um, you know, things that I'd like to do, I can really do. And why about. were you so surprised? I mean, you were ambitious about being partners. So was it a massive extra step really what it was it was a it was a big it was a big step because the role came with sitting on our global uh, sitting on our global management team so you know sitting on the the, you know the top team globally and reporting only to our ceo so it was a massive step up but it's a really good question to ask because as i sit there interviewing other women within our business for promotions and 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 men for promotions um gross generalization obviously but you tend to see um you know, uh, I tend to see men being very openly ambitious and rightly because they're, they're really good at what they do and really up for the next stage. And, and I do see women being more really keen to demonstrate what we have done, you know, sort of putting our heads down and, and hoping people will notice, uh, if you see what I mean. So, um, no, so it's interesting. But what did happen during that period of time was, you know, my partners in my practice were quite concerned about me taking on a management, really serious management role and therefore not being so available to the practice and weren't very keen for me to take it on. And the more that, and you know, an our CEO sort of said, well, maybe, maybe, maybe you should wait for a bit and do it a bit later on, Susan. At that point, I stood up and said, no, I really want to do this job. <laughs> it was another <laughs> drop in biology style moment. And you <laughs> thought, actually, I need to make some decisions. Yeah. So uh, you've yes. Yeah, so anyway, and I, and I've done this job, and I have I you know it has been a massive learning learning curve. I look back on my time, but what really interests me about it, Justine, is about about creating cultures, about creating a culture of um, a culture of, of excellence, inclusion, where people can come into our business um, and they can they can thrive, um, and you know I, my aim is for people to be really proud to have Hogan Lovells on their CV, to really learn something, to make friends, um, to do fantastic work, um, hopefully to stay, but not, you know, not everybody stays, but then to go on and go on and be really successful in their careers. I mean, that, that, that gets me out of bed in the morning. I think it's fantastic. And we're delighted on the pledge to be able to work with Hogan Lovells on putting together an opportunity action plan, because it will not only give us a chance to look at, if you like, your journey on social mobility to date what you've been doing on particularly diversity and inclusion but also then it gives us all a chance to say well what more can we do how can we look forward at a time when really this opportunity gap between often young people who find it easier to find opportunities and those that don't you know it's obviously been widened by coronavirus so from a Hogan Lovell's perspective on social mobility just tell us a little bit about almost the approach you've had to trying to make sure it's it's a company that's not just open to a really diverse group of people joining it, but also on inclusion, helping them stay and, as you say, thrive, whoever they are. Yeah, no, and I'm really pleased that we're working with you. And we were obviously talking about this being the end of last year, um, and we've put it on hold a bit during this period of time. And, and, and that's a good thing, actually, because you're absolutely right. The gaps are just widening. And so I think we need to pivot and 
double down and and do even even more so i'm very excited about what we're going to to be doing together but um in terms of of, of our journey i we've always been very keen for the for the profession to be to be very open i mean law has a bit of a reputation of people not really knowing and understanding um and you know and i was in that position of not really knowing or understanding in myself when i was was coming through um, I don't think I'd ever met a lawyer when I was growing up in Rotherham. And I remember thinking yeah. about doing a law degree at the yeah. exact same time that you did. But literally just, I would say I didn't spend more than a minute on it. Um, I loved economics. So in a way, I'd already thought that's probably what I'll do. But looking back on it, I should have thought more carefully. But I didn't have those sorts of contacts in a sense with someone who was in the profession to bring it alive for me. So I kind of just moved on and stuck with my kind of initial thinking, which was no bad thing. I didn't did really do well. So and I love economics, but yeah, exactly. Yeah. But um, I think it's just about having a full chance to look at all the options, not just the ones that you might know about instantly. And also demystify. I completely agree. And it's also about demystifying it for people, you know, who don't have never met a lawyer wouldn't, you know, would have no no clue as to what it what it is. And of course, you know, at the end of the day, um, law is about you know helping helping people with with your toolkit of law to to solve a problem or to get an outcome. Um, uh, but um, in terms of how to what we've been doing, um, and it's not easy because we're we're you know we're a big size business, of course we are, but we're not we're not massive. But our, in our in, what we have done is to so outreach in terms of you know going into schools at that early stage. Um, so we've done a lot of work in that area, both in London but also much more broadly, going to you know some cold spots around the country where we where we go in um, and and we talk about law in a very accessible way and, and give children the opportunity just to understand what that's like. And then in the sick form, we often bring the children into the into the office to, to get a feel. And I think that's really important. We do quite a lot of work with the Elizabeth Garrett Anderson School in, in, in Islington. Mm -hmm. and, and the girls uh, uh, come in. And, and that's the that's the really important thing. It's about giving people aspiration, giving them a feel, because a lot of a lot of kids have never walked into an office building like that, uh, mm. and that's quite a frightening thing to do. So bringing people in, taking them to the canteen, sitting around and ha and having having a meal together, and talking about it, and they're inspirational. They've got such views on everything. It's extraordinary. It's wonderful. Mm. So we do a lot of work in that space through different programs, and we partner with other people. So. You know, there are some really great organisations like the Sutton Trust or Aspiring Solicitors or Rare Recruitment who real professionals in their space. And we, we work collaboratively with them all about going into schools, then giving um, uh, young, young, young people the opportunity to come in for, you know, a work experience day or, you know, to, to join a, a training programme with us to get those those tastes of what could, could it really be like to provide mentoring for people you know, mm -hmm. through the end of school and into university and so on. So so we do a lot of that, either for us as a firm or collaboratively with others. Um, and then people then people um, join us and, and, you know, making it a place where people want to, to stay and grow um, and feel really included is fascinating. And, and one of the things that I've learned over the last few years is, um, you know, is how hard you have to make that true for all people mm -hmm. you know i like to think that hogan others is a, a, a very open and inclusive place and we did a lot of work if i go back 
we, we realized about 2010 that the proportion of black and ethnic minority um, people we had joining us as trainees was about 9%, not enough. So we did a lot of work thinking about how do we widen access to more universities and really to make this a place that people want to join. And the team worked incredibly hard at, 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 at getting out there and talking to people. And we increased the proportion to over 30% by, took five years to by 2015. <laughs> I'm pleased to say it's, it stayed above 30% every year since once it went up to 47, which was a, high, a real high point. But then you have to turn your attention to, okay, so we've got these great people from real diverse backgrounds, um, from different racial backgrounds, all joining us. And, and mm. how do we make a place where people really, really want to stay? And you have to hold a mirror up to your own organization and, and um, you know, really create spaces where people can tell you, well, this is what it's really like to be here. And these are the extra things. It's pretty good, but these are the extra things that you could do to make it even more inclusive. Um, so, for example, one of the recommendations we got a couple of years ago was to set up a very specific race network within our organisation to do more reciprocal mentoring, those sorts of things, Justine. And, and you, you, you know, you have to, you have to keep you can never stop. Your work is never done. You have to keep finding the next thing that you do to create. And I think it's, it's about um, lead. That comes from the right leadership and culture, but then it, you know, translating it as you say into very practical measures. Yeah. That yeah. you no know, show you're walking the talk, but also crucially make a difference, make a really practical difference for people on the ground. And and I think the challenge with all of this is there is no silver bullet. That if you do that, it's all fixed. It is more complicated than that. It's rooted in a business or an, organ or an organization genuinely caring in the first place. So you, you kind of can't fake fixing things. Um, but I think once you've got all the right jigsaw pieces together, then things do shift for the better. And you know, diversity and inclusion, it's a bit like being invited to the party, but then wanting to stay. You know, and they're-, they're I'm inviting you to dance as well, yeah. <laughs> they're different challenges, aren't they? And, and yeah. so, you know, it's, it's a bit of a journey, I think, for a lot of organisations. I mean, obviously, there are wider changes happening in law and how you qualify to become a solicitor. How do you think that might change almost the challenges, the opportunities for having a really diverse profession? So, yes, there's some changes coming up to the um, what are called the solicitors um, qualification examinations. And the aim behind those is indeed to to widen access and to make it all more accessible. Um, and, and I hope very much that um, that those changes have that impact. I'm not personally not sure, Justine, that that simply changing an exam and the nature mm -hmm. of the exam is going mm -hmm. in itself. To, you know, like you said, there's no one silver bullet. Um, and I also you know, personally, I think it's really important um, that you maintain um, the, um, the, you know, the quality. People want to go to, to lawyers who, you know, are first class and, and, and really know what they're doing. So that, that's a, that, that, that benchmark is really important. So I think there's no one silver bullet, but it's a combination of things. Um, and I, I do think that, I do think that, um, that we are making progress in terms of widening access. Um, uh, it, it, it's, 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 it's hard to judge and we're doing it more anecdotally at the moment, but about five years ago, we introduced what we call contextual recruit, recruitment tools uh, in conjunction with rare recruitment. And what that does is to 
flag up to us um, people who are applying who do have come from more challenged backgrounds. So, for example, you know, from that their results may not look so spectacular, but compared to the school they are, they're at, they are really very, very good. Or it's a, a school with, um, you know, lots of people um, on free school meals or their children who are caring for others or um, maybe um, uh, people who've, who've um, uh, come here, um, uh, you know, from other countries and, and, uh, and, you know, have only been in here for a couple of years or something not like have that. spoken the language when they not arrived. Spoken, yeah, not also. spoken the language, not had the opportunities until they got here, for example. And so this tool flags people up um, and it, it, it means that, they, that it sort of, it gives us the opportunity then to, to interview a broader range of people who would not have come up just, just through the, you know, sort of usual things one would have looked at in the past, like their exam results. So you're literally uh, reaching into that wider talent pool. And, yes, and it, it's really... Yeah, it's, and exactly. And so you're, 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 you're able to, to flag those people up and interview. And, you know, as I'm saying, it's only anecdotal at the moment, but we've had people come through now, because we've been doing it five years, um, who've been flagged up in that way. And boy, are they good. Um, that's what's so interesting. What we're seeing is you've got people who, you know, got, got real grit, real determination, real resilience, that drive to be successful. Um, I just think that's, um, you know, fantastic for us. I hope fantastic for them too. Um, but it is one way in which one can, in a, a sort of more methodical way, if you like, um, identify wider talent potential. And in, absolutely. And, and this sense that people bring a lot more than their academics into any role, frankly. Um, and the irony probably is it's the, the wider capabilities of resilience, teamworking, problem solving, you know, bouncing back when things inevitably go wrong, all of that probably makes the biggest difference ultimately between someone who's going to be able to be really successful um, compared to someone else. I think, I mean, for the law sector, there's been a lot of work done on widening access into the sector. What's your sense about how far on that journey the sector is? Um, where do you think this successes have been but almost where are the challenges now that you would point to really about if you're focusing on one two three areas for the future you know what they should be for law um i i so there has been a lot that's done um prime was set up a long time ago amongst law firms in order to give um a much wider range of um young people the opportunity to do work experience which is so important um giving people the opportunity to give it a try um in a in a sort of non-threatening way absolutely critical um so i think that you know collaboration like that justine is is is, is critical um, what do we do going forward? Well, um, I think the challenge, we've got this immediate challenge, if you like, of being in a virtual world. So one of the things that Prime has done, for example, is to team up um, to create um, an, uh, an app. It's with an organisation called um, Zero Gravity. So what they're doing is, is, is joining together with an app to connect um, uh, students who are still at university with young people who are, for example, in law, um, to to do to do mentoring at a time when you know the usual ways of connecting people are, are just different. So that that is you know you constantly have to innovate and evolve. Um, 
you know, how far along are we? I think we've, I think we've done a lot, but you know, we've got, we've got so much more to do um, as a, as a profession, if you like, to, to, to keep doing it. Um, and I, I think it's about, um, I just think about, it's about being on it all the time. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, you put in place, um, it's not always about coming up with something new. It's about putting in place those opportunities to go out into schools, talk to kids, give them the opportunity to come in, to talk to people about what it's really like. Not necessarily people like me, because I'm too far ahead, if you like. You need to talk to people who are, you can just see yourself being that person in two or three years' time. You know what I mean? So it's that, that next aspirational step. And we just have to keep at it all of the, all of the time, not stop. My, my sense was always, in a way, it's a bit like um, gender diversity, almost. You have to keep pushing. Otherwise, it sort of just ever so steadily slips back to maybe where it was before. Um, but actually, in keeping on pushing, you know, you, you do get there in the end. But in a sense, nobody can do it all on their own. And it, it's this tapestry, I think, of all the law firms making their contribution to it that ultimately will get, you know, bigger change in the longer term. But you're not going to fix it overnight. Um, it, it is quite generational in nature, isn't it? It, it, you're absolutely right. Look, when I started 1989, I joined our firm, and we had 39 um, people joining at the same time. There were, uh, and of that 39, 30 were women. Nine wow. women. Yeah. Okay, so women have been joining the profession in their droves for a long time. Um, and yet, yes, um, really getting women through into partnership and, and so on. That's, you know, that's been a Herculaneum task and it's one that keeps going and you keep slipping back. And, you know, cultural change is critical, but in addition, I think it's about changing systems and the way organizations do things, the processes. So for example, in law, um, it's about making sure, how do you progress? Well, you progress by doing, getting the opportunity to do really great work, by being busy on really great work, working with really great clients. And so the systematic change you can make in the business um, is, um, sorry, there's somebody washing my windows, Justina. <laughs> Can't hear that at all. Um, we like a bit of real life in these podcasts. I, I really wouldn't worry about it. <laughs> okay, my husband is um, taking the dog. Um, so anyway, no, I'm trying to tell him to stop. Anyway, we have to cut that bit. Great, <laughs> we might keep it in. Anyway, where was that? I was saying changing systems. So, um, you know, one thing within a law firm is... Is, I, I'm very passionate about is, is, is how you allocate work um, because it's very easy for a partner to say look you know I've, I've got this great new job in and Joe J-O-E down the corridor did a really great job last time and I'll get Joe to do it again um, but what about Joe without an E or you know who's just back from that leave for example and and you know would like to build a relationship with the client or whatever so it, creating systems which which help people to think more broadly like yes. how do you allocate work? How do you make sure that your vast, you know, your variety of talent get the, all of those opportunities? So me personally, when I came back from my first um, maternity leave, I was I was not a partner. I was a senior associate. My father was um, a gynecologist and obstetrician. Made it very clear to us three girls that if you wanted children, you got on and did it quickly. So I had my. <laughs> I, 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 I'd had a child and I came back and we were incredibly busy and the partner I was working for just sent me straight out on a massive job. I was away from home, 
my husband had to look after the baby. But do you know what, Justine? That was fantastic. I got great experience. He had to learn how to sort out <laughs> the baby, which was mm -hmm. good. Um, but it meant that I was getting that quality experience straight away, rather than perhaps just being left to, to you know, with you know, with good intent, being 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 left, um, yes. you know, a bit quieter. So those systems, I think, are critical within a business. So more, more of a discussion with people about almost how they develop actively going forward and really thinking more strategically about the day-to-day -day choices that are being made to run the business yeah. and how they can do that, uh, I think is really, I think it's a really good example of how there's almost a wider strategy that businesses can deploy and it's, it's sort of almost more than what you might think about the schools programs, all of that, actually, as you're saying, just the sort of DNA of the business can be recalibrated to have an eye on helping to progress talent um, and help people thrive. I think, I mean, it's been fascinating to listen to your reflections, but also, you know, what you're doing now. And of course, it's really exciting that in this new role, um, as global managing partner of diversity and inclusion and responsible business, I think you can bring all of that both personal but professional experience to really hopefully craft an exciting agenda for Hogan Lovells. And I think in doing so, show some wider leadership for law. So, Susan, if you were looking back to your, you, you sound like you, you um, got plenty of advice from your parents, um, which is good. But if you were giving yourself advice, your younger Susan self now, what do you think it would be? Gosh, that's a, that's a, a, a really difficult question always. Um, but I would, I, I, I would advise myself, you know, as stepping out into the world of work to, to do something that you, that I, that you really love. Mm-hmm. You know, it, you're not you're not going to love it every day, every minute of every day, but gen, something that you genuinely love doing, um, because you're going to do it for a while. And um, getting up in the morning, you have to want to get up and go in and do whatever it is that you're doing. So something you really love. Um, I would probably also advise myself to um, you know to take to to take opportunities that come your way because you never know how that's going to help you later on. Mm -hmm. um, so being you know, being open to not, not having, I, I sometimes see young people these days having, you know, incredibly organized and thoughtful about what they're going to do over the next period of time and planning is good, but being open to opportunities as they come your way uh, and really wanting to learn all the time. And then my final one would be um, build, build your network of relationships with people right from the beginning. Um, uh, I think you said something earlier on about, um, you know, being a being a lawyer is more than just about, or being anything, if you like, is more more than just about that core skill, and it absolutely is. Um, but but the biggest thing is about relationships with other people who might become your clients or people that you work collaboratively with. So building that network right from the beginning. I think those are three very good bits of advice, and uh, I have to say. A, on the second one about taking opportunities, some of the things I've loved the most were things that when I was first asked if I wanted to do them, I thought, I'm not really sure that'll be any good. <laughs> so it's, it's just a lesson, isn't it? You know, that, that thing that you're not too keen about next week at work or whatever could be the thing that totally fires you up and ends yeah. up being what you focus on. But if you don't give it a go, 
you never find out. Um, Susan, it's been fantastic having you on the podcast and really, really great discussion about everything Hogan Lovell's doing. I'm really excited too about the work we've got with you underway. Um, and it's just great to get your reflections on this wider social mobility agenda. So thank you for your time. Thank you, Justine. Growing up in Rotherham, there were some professions and careers that seemed very distant to me. I think so distant that I didn't even really think about them as potential opportunities. And when I look back on it, I didn't really see myself as a lawyer, but that's probably because I'd just never ever met one and really had no idea of even what law was about, let alone what it might be like working as a lawyer. So hearing Susan talk about how Hogan Lovells are changing that by working with schools and with young people is really positive. I think you can't be what you can't see. So raising aspirations and showing people that there are others just like them who are successful in all of these professions is a key part of levelling up Britain and boosting social mobility. Thanks for listening to this episode of Fit for Purpose. If you enjoyed it, please give us a rating and share with your friends, family and colleagues. And be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes.